0: welcome to the saving lives podcast or i guess in this case it'll be a video podcast because i'm going to be uploading this onto youtube and other platforms thanks so much for joining me today it is the 5th of november of 2021 for historical context if you learn anything in this video if you're listening to it on youtube or somewhere else where you're watching it i would appreciate a like as it helps the algorithm also subscribe consider doing so if you're listening to this on a podcast um greatly appreciate if you leave me a good five-star review. If you're going to leave me a review less than five stars, just don't do it then. Anyway, I digress. I'm just messing around. Today, I wanted to discuss a press release that was put out by Pfizer on a new therapy for you-know-what called Paxlovid. This is a medication that is intended to be used in the outpatient setting. For those of you who don't know me, I am an intensive care doctor. I go by Eddie Joe. I've been battling this uh, current situation with my patients for a long time and I am a proponent of any therapy that will help keep patients out of my intensive care unit. Trust me, I would rather be unemployed than to have to continue taking care of patients with this underlying predicament. But to start things off, I want to mention that I am not a fan of medicine by press releases. I honestly like to wait for the full trial to be published and then make my appraisal and therefore determine whether I think that the therapy is worthwhile or not however as of today again the 5th of November of 2021 this is all we have it's a press release that was put out this morning by Pfizer and um, I recently covered Monopiravir which is the Merck medication um, and you know I was also talking about their press release and I've covered that in a video before and in a podcast so check that out there but it's funny how they put out this press release. It's in all caps, and I'm going to actually uh, read this out. It says, Pfizer's novel, you know what, oral antiviral treatment candidate reduces risk of hospitalization or death by 89% in interim analysis of phase 2-3 EPIC HR study. It certainly caught my eye that they call the study the EPIC study, but, you know, clinical studies always have uh, those catchy names to it, and it's actually stands for Evaluation of Protease Inhibition for, you know what, in high-risk patients. And it's extremely important that we differentiate that the patient population that this therapy was given to was those patients who are high-risk. However, they do not define in the actual press release what high-risk means, nor do they do so on clinicaltrials.gov, which is where they register in the clinical trial. Um, I always recommend people to check out Clinicaltrials.gov it's very nerdy, but it's some it's something uh, something that might be worthwhile for you to check out when you're looking into clinical studies. Um, the study name uh, for Paxlovid is PF, and it has a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of numbers after it slash ritonavir. Now, those of us who practice medicine are familiar with ritonavir because it is a medication that is used for HIV. It's an antiretroviral therapy. And if I recall correctly, and pardon me for not looking this up, I believe it's a protease inhibitor. However, you could correct me in the comment section below. So whenever we're looking at a clinical trial, the first thing we have to wonder is what type of trial was it? Is it a cohort study? Is it an uh, uh, observational study? Um, as a case controls, but here it's the type of study, the type of clinical trial that we do want to see to see how efficacious, C2C, pretty redundant, but we want to see how efficacious this medication is in preventing hospitalization and death, which was the composite primary endpoint of this study. And so uh, it was a randomized double-blind study of non-hospitalized adult patients with you-know-what. Now it's important because they're the the group that they're analyzing here is outpatients not inpatients so you cannot take these data from outpatients and extrapolate it towards inpatients so i i hate to say this there's also no no clinical trial when i when i just checked to see if this medication could be applicable in the inpatient setting but it just doesn't exist so please don't call like once this gets uh, fda approved and gets the eua please don't call your hospitals and say, hey, why don't you use this medication? Because again, it's not proven to work there. Uh, at that point, more so than viral replication, the issue with, uh, the, the issue with, with you know what is the fact that there's a uh, snowball inflammatory cascade that, and that's why patients need, for example, uh, IL-6 agents and corticosteroids and things of that nature. So going back to this EPIC HR study, uh, this is a phase two, three study. So they're looking for clinical meaningful ad- endpoints. And then they're also looking for adverse events, which is something that I'm going to get into. And overall, they were attempting to enroll 3,000 patients into this study. So this number of patients is fantastic. I'm, I'm I like large scale studies because it actually pushes out any noise that might, uh, that might arise in the study. If you, have a, if you have a clinical trial with like 150 patients in each arm, and I'm not going to uh, kind of signal what, what therapies I'm discussing. I'll leave that for another day. But if you have 150 patients in each arm, it's very hard to power the study appropriately to find some meaningful endpoints. Here with 3,000 patients, you know, all, all in all, that's going to be a lot of patients for uh, to show us a good result, to show us that it actually is worthwhile to proceed with this therapy. But this this part of the study, what's coming out from this press release is an interim analysis, which means that they had a pre-specified point where they were going to say, hey, you know, at around 1,200 patients, and in this case, 1,219, they said, "We're we're gonna just chill out for a second and we're gonna analyze all the patients that we've already enrolled thus far and so that's that's what they did here. This is just an interim analysis. It isn't the completed trial. So we can't expect to see the full paper. Generally speaking, we don't see the full paper until the full trial is done. And if I recall correctly, I think that's for February of next year, 2022. So we still got a while to go. Um, The regimen that was provided to the patients was this medication provided orally every 12 hours for 5 days for a total of 10 doses. I don't know how many pills of which medication, the ritonavir, was on it because that wasn't specified in the press release. Some news outlets are talking about how many pills were in the the whole regimen, but that didn't come out in the press release and that's not listed on clinicaltrials.gov, so therefore I'm not going to trust it. I'm only, going to, I'm only going with the source material here. So what did the EPIC-HR trial find regarding Paxlovid? Their primary endpoint, which was defined on clinicaltrials.gov as the, quote, proportion of participants with you-know-what related hospitalization or death from any cause. And what the study found was an 89% reduction in risk of you-know-what related hospitalization or death from any cause compared to placebo within three days of symptom onset. Very important here. The number of 89% uh, reduction in risk is a little tricky. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you why you should always get like a little, bit of, a little bit of skepticism with this number, even though it's factual, even though the statistics say that it's 89% reduction in risk. And this in fact is accurate, it's 89% reduction in risk. But th- what does that really mean from a clinical standpoint? That's what we're gonna look at now. And the other important thing is that it was within three days of symptom onset, meaning if you, get, if you have symptoms from, you know what, you need to run and get this medication quickly for it to work. And I'll show you why in a second. The primary endpoint, which was a composite of hospitalizations and death, was met in 0.8% of the patients in the pavlovid group. Paxlovid group. I think I've been saying pavlovid. Is that how I've been thinking about pavlov? Anyway, in the Paxlovid group versus 7% in the placebo group. So you might say to yourself, 0.8% in this group versus 7% in the other. That sounds pretty good. That sounds very encouraging. And yeah, it looks good because this is what decreases the risk of hospitalization or death. But we need to think about how to make this applicable for our patients because it's not, not all just decreased risk of hospitalization and death. I mean, it kind of is, but at the same time, there's more to it. And this is where I encourage you to always calculate the number needed to treat to find clinical benefit in one patient. And the way you do that is by going on a number needed to treat calculator which you could google, easy to find, an NT calculator. In one box in the in the experimental box you point you put in 0.8 and in the control box you go ahead and you put 7.0% You hit the little calculate and you'll find that in patients who get this within three days of symptom onset, you find that the number needed to treat is 16.1. Generally speaking, we like number needed to treat less than 10. The smaller the better. That means it's more efficacious for, you know, fixing people. But here 16.1 is what we have, at least from this interim analysis of the data. Now what does that mean though? That means that there's still going to be a lot of patients who get this therapy and who it simply doesn't do anything to them, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really benefit them because it doesn't, uh, we don't know how long if it shortens up the symptoms in the patients. That's just something we don't know today as of, this, uh, as, as of this press release. But if you're thinking about how much money we're going to be spending as a society to keep people out of the hospital... The number I've seen thrown around there on the media outlets, and again, I don't trust the media outlets, that's why I try to read everything for myself, is that this therapy is supposed to cost around $700 per regimen. So if you multiply $700 times 16, which I don't have a calculator at hand and I'm not going to embarrass myself by doing a public math right now, it's a lot of money to keep people out of the hospital. And I'll let you decide and you can tell me in the comment section below if you think that spending this much money to keep one person out of the hospital is worthwhile. That is an optimal scenario where you start therapy within three days of symptom onset. But they also looked at a subgroup where they started the therapy within five days of symptom onset. And one of the things we know about COVID is the earlier you start treating it, the better it's going to be for the patient. So if you started within five days here, they found that 1% of the, of the patients in the, in the Paxlovid group and again, I can't remember if I've been saying pavlovid, uh, in the Paxlovid group, met the primary endpoint versus 6.7% in the placebo group. Here, the number needed to treat goes from 16.1 to 17.5. So if you wanna get the best bang for your buck, this therapy needs to be started early. One of the other things that was mentioned was the the rates of death here. And w- in, in the press release, they state that nobody died in the Paxlovid group, which is fantastic because I don't want anybody to die. I want to keep everybody out of the hospital and out of my ICU. And it's also good because these are high-risk patients even though they don't specify what a high-risk patient is. So what they did find was that 1.6% of patients in the placebo group ended up passing away, unfortunately, at day 28. This gives us some insight as to the death rate of these patients at day 28 you know, even if they're high risk. So 1.6% of people die. Um, You know, we're hearing higher numbers than that out of the media, but these are the types of things you could tease out of of these studies to help us understand what the true death rates are from this awful virus. It's academically dishonest that I'm going to uh, calculate a number needed to treat based on this, but in order to save one life, you have to treat 62.5 people with Paxlovid, again, it's, it's I just threw that number in there, putting the one and the and the excuse me, the zero percent versus one point six percent. But I just found it fun to go ahead and do so. Now, what are the adverse effects to Paxlobin? And this is also pretty interesting because here, rather than reviewing the twelve hundred patients that I mentioned uh, previously, they, they reviewed eighteen hundred eighty one patients, which is a good amount of patients. What they found is that the majority of the adverse effects were mild and these adverse effects were reported mostly in the placebo group, believe it or not. 19% of the Paxlovid group uh, mentioned that they had adverse effects and 21% of the placebo group, which means that this could be just COVID symptoms that people are having in the control group, which you know is interesting to know. Now, they also talk about treatment emergent adverse reactions and and serious adverse reactions. And these were also smaller in the, there were also fewer, part of my poor language. Um, These were also fewer in the experimental group at 1.7% versus 6.6% in the the control group. So this means that they probably had more COVID-related symptoms in the placebo group. And... Another very telling component of this is the fact that if you or I were to be enrolled in a clinical trial, we don't know if we're getting the real deal or if we're getting a placebo, right? But you are given a lot of times the option to be able to not a lot of times, but you should be able to have the ability to bail out of a study and say, Hey, I don't want to be part of this anymore. Just, just stop all these treatments. I, I want to go on with my life. And it's very telling that in this particular trial, more people bailed, out of the control group slash the placebo group than the experimental group where 4.1% of patients bailed out of the out of the control group versus 2.1 out of the placebo and I think they might have bailed and again this is just conjecture I don't know this for sure but I think they may have bailed simply because of the adverse effects from COVID just from feeling crappy because of that but that's neither here nor there oh and by the way this is not medical advice don't trust me read the articles for yourself it's down in the show notes and all that good stuff so the next question is, what's next for Pfizer and Paxlovid? And right now, Pfizer, per their press release, they're applying for the emergency use authorization, and uh, I expect that they're going to be getting this on shelves soon rather than later. The full t- the full trial is supposed to be complete by by April of twenty twenty two. I think earlier in this segment I mentioned February twenty twenty two, but it's uh, it's April. I'd like to know what you think. Like, let's, let's have an honest discussion of this. I, I want to know what you think about this medication, what it means for our fight against this uh, awful virus and to help us get out of this awful virus. Um, I don't know if these patients had gotten the thing in their arm. Uh, I don't know about their patient selection, ages, uh, BMIs, etc. A lot of things that I just don't know. And I also don't like medicine by press releases. But given the situation at hand, I kind of understand why they're doing it. Thank you so much for your support. Let's have a fun conversation about it. Subscribe if you haven't done so already. Leave a little heart or a little thumbs up on YouTube or Instagram or wherever you may be watching this. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye.